Sound of Fire and Soul, a community where leaders gather to unite in sovereignty in today's world. I'm your host, Michelle Sorrow, a seasoned and heart-centered coach and mentor on a mission to take you on a journey of self-empowerment with weekly guidance and channeled wisdom. Fire and Soul features brave and daring conversations with extraordinary leaders who have awakened from the illusion to help you claim sovereign leadership in life, love, and entrepreneurship. Let's listen, learn, and stand together as models for our new world, starting now. I'm so excited to have my guest with us today, Chris Robbins. What an honor to have you on. I'm going to give just a brief bio. It's what I found on your Instagram, Chris, but it's actually quite moved by it. It says, dad, husband, writer, seeker, founder of Soul Degree, in love with Mel Robbins, and taking life one gate at a time. Welcome to Fire and Soul. Thank you for having me. So what is one gate? I did a quick little search and I think I might be, but I want you to share because it's in quotes. So I grew up as a, as a ski racer, as a young kid, me, I'm the youngest of three boys and all three of us were running up from just outside of New York up to Vermont and skiing every weekend. And I was kind of one of those racers that was a bit of a head case. Like I'd get in the starting gate and I'd be super nervous and anxious about how it was all going to turn out. So with my focus more on what was going to be the result, my father was always quick to come to my rescue and just remind me to take it one gate at a time. It was a bit of his own metaphor, if you will, for just trying to take in the moment and not get ahead of yourself and remind me that it wasn't about the, uh, as they say, the end, but about the journey. Ah, the destination is always in the doing. I love that. Um, (laughs) Then it's not what I thought. So I looked up like quotes one gate and it showed Psalm 118, 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them and I will praise the Lord. And I was thinking, well, even if that is the truth for you, the Lord in my interpretation of getting to know you through social media could possibly be Mother Nature. Is that fair to say? I think it is fair to say. Yeah, for sure. I think I'm learning that every day, but certainly I feel most at home out there (laughs) with Mother Nature. Ah, it's so beautiful. And so I'm excited to talk to you about Soul Degree. You are the founder of this incredible adventure-inspired personal development retreat program, right? Like designed for men. Of course, I'm sure a lot of women want to go. I know I do. Launched it in 2016. What was the impetus for that launch? Because I know you've been on a lot of different endeavors over the last, you know, two and a half decades from ventures in real estate, food, media, technology, very, very full life, raising three children, being married for 26 years. So what woke you up to soul degree is what I want to do and what I want to take a stand for. Well, like many, I suppose, things that people become passionate about, it was born a little bit out of being in a tough spot. I, you know, I had spent so much of my career doing so many amazing and colorful things in different industries. And, but 
the last venture that I was in, which is in the restaurant business, ended in this, what I would consider to be a complete flame out where a lot of money was lost of my own and other people's. And, and I sort of chalked that whole thing up to being a colossal failure and found myself licking my wounds a little bit and trying to regroup. And I think what I discovered in that moment were, or what I was looking for were some of the things that were just missing. And one of those things was a return to nature, for sure. I'd spent a lot of time as a kid growing up and climbing and hiking and camping. And that just felt like it had become elusive in my life. And so I wanted to get back to that. And I think another thing that I realized was just how serious I had become and mm. how the boy in me mm. had just totally fallen away. Mm. That I also recognized was a real miss, just being a boy and, you know, fucking around and running, getting muddy and caring less, if you will. I think the third thing was just finding myself feeling more alone than together. I am somebody who, I mean, I love to watch a football game or, you know, go to the bar or whatever, if you will, but I am not great with the small talk and the stuff that often just kind of happens around the kitchen counter. I'm always yearning for the conversation that just goes deeper. So Soul Degree was really just born out of that, that, I don't know, that puzzle, if you will, to step back into the wilderness and invite like-minded men who were excited to put themselves in a somewhat adventurous situation where they didn't know anybody, but where they were psyched to maybe go a little bit deeper and peel back the onion on what matters to them in their lives. And that sort of became the format and the backdrop. And I, I have a certification in meditation and yoga and some of these, I guess, modalities of slowing down also were really resonating me, with me at the time that it's just so rare for I mean, I would say everybody, but guys in particular, at least I think about my own life where we just so rarely stop and hit the pause button mm. and take ourselves out of the everyday. And some people experience that every day to be a grind or to be on the hamster wheel. And it doesn't even necessarily need to be that. I just think that as guys, we just go, 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 go. And so this was me trying to put together something that honestly I needed. I had no idea kind of how it was going to play out. So I just started extending invitations and one thing led to another. And yeah, it's been really, really special just uh, creating this space for men who just like you and I don't, you know, don't have a deep background of knowing each other. I think that I have formed dozens of new, really profound relationships with men who, truthfully, if I seen, you know, walking through the grocery store or whatever, might not be people that I would find myself 
you know, right in front of. And it's been quite, quite amazing, both to be a part of it, but also to be in the company of pretty much every guy who has ever come on one of these trips, just seeing their own light. Mm, Seeing their light. That's so beautiful. I'm going to read something that you probably posted since I know you're an incredibly gifted writer. At least that's the way I experience your writing. It just pierces my heart. When I was actually reading your post for Soul Degree and your personal account, Christopher Robbins, and I'll link both in the show notes because you guys are going to feast on this soul food. But I thought to myself, God, who's running his social? I need to hire this person. And then I was like, that's him. I know it's him. Uh, It is you, correct? It is. It is so beautiful. Okay. So do you mind if I share a quote that you recently posted from someone who attended your most recent trip in the Grand Tetons in Wyoming? So the quote starts, spent the past, remember, this is a man, a grown ass man that you might not have connected with. I don't know. But like, that's what happens when we just connect in this light. He said, spent the past week in Wyoming with a group of men I had never met, hiking, talking, laughing, crying, more than most, learning, sharing, feeling, searching, digging deep, listening, being vulnerable, sharing, showing my true self and expressing gratitude, all while learning to love and accept myself and be a better father, son, brother, lover, friend, and overall human being. I have truly never experienced such love, support, compassion, and brotherhood. And every one of these men holds a very special place in my heart. It's like we had known each other our entire lives. Next to the birth of my son and meeting the love of my life, this was the greatest experience of my life. These men who were with me on this journey, this leap of faith, are brothers for life. As men, we all struggle with painful things we never talk about, and we think we're alone, but now I know we're not. I have always only shown all the parts of me that I want you to see. And at 55, I finally know what it feels like when your heart is full and literally overflowing with love and gratitude. I'm getting so moved. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Scott S. And this is the real fucking me. Oh, so beautiful. So, I mean, how does it feel, right? And most men don't even know how to answer that question, but I know you do. How does it feel when you see that transformation and get to witness it firsthand because of something that you needed, that you created out of your own necessity? Mm, It makes me cry. Yeah, yeah. That that happens a lot for me, both in these retreats, but also away from it, knowing that... um, that has occurred for men. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's so powerful, not only to, like I said, be a part of that, and not to, you know, honestly, like it it just, it has nothing to do with me in the sense that, yes, maybe I was the guy behind putting it together. But I show up to these things every time not because I'm the guru or I have the answers. I don't have any of that. Like I'm there to be right in there with it because my life is evolving just the same way that these guys' lives are evolving. What I'm showing up with is different, you know, one year than it was three years ago. And so I love being able to just be a part of that 
inquiry for myself and with them and know that it's just a mutual back scratching that takes that that sort of plays out in the way in which people choose to not only show up but dig in and mm-hmm. reveal what's so for them and that's kind of part of the pre-work so to speak that we give people before they arrive is you know first of all you got to want to do it for all of you women out there who might think, oh, this is going to be the greatest thing. My husband or my my spouse needs to do this. I get a lot of that. And yeah. my normal response is, well, that's amazing. And you're a blessing for even considering your significant other. But it's the guy that really needs to and wants to do this for himself. Because if the, he doesn't show up psyched and clear about what he's there for, then it doesn't packed near the powerful punch that it has every time. And the reason why it often just works so beautifully is that the people that show up are the people that have chosen for themselves. And that just helps set the table for what inevitably is both a shared profound experience, but also one that is very individual for each human because they're all dealing with, I mean, you name it, like it's just, you know, it might be work related, might be, you know, might be family related, might be health related, whatever. And it's, it's not a forum for issues, but I think what people come to find is that we are just so much more alike than we are different. Mm -hmm. And that the through line of our humanity is so intricately tied. Mm. And I think that that's really tough also for for guys sometimes to see because we're often brought up, not necessarily the fault of our fathers or mothers or whatever, but it's like, okay, you know, your job, time to go make the bacon. Like you got to get it done and you got to succeed and you got to be the provider. And so there's just this relentless internal conversation that I think guys have maybe more so than women, although that could be shifting these days. But I mean, certainly guys just having a lot of ammunition through which they can beat themselves up and knock themselves down and convince themselves that they're not enough. Yeah, the most universal fear, I think, going around and it's all bullshit. Just complete and utter bullshit. I'm not going to read another long post, although I want to. I'm tempted. You posted something. I think it was on Soul Degrees Instagram account, and it was just the ocean, the tide coming and going. And you talked about just taking a moment to pause, right, and to take in her beauty of just the permanence and impermanence. I'm I'm paraphrasing of Mother Nature and uh, just allowing yourself to be fully present. But the post was all around this bullshit pressure, right, to perform and to provide and to produce that's on these little shoulders. You, you referenced the little shoulders, right? Because at the end of the day, we're, we're all just our five-year-old little selves, whether you're male or female. And it just can feel like it comes crashing down this weight and this pressure. And, and I took a big inhale and exhale as I was reading that and and uh, and I just thought it's so simple what we can do to just come back to truth, 
And so I wanted to ask you about that. Like, how do you, I know you are a newly certified mindfulness teacher. Congratulations. But how do you incorporate any modalities or anchors to keep you grounded in such interesting times, right? And the pressure just mounts and mounts and mounts. And especially, of course, being married to who you're married to, who's, as you mentioned, a main line on social media. But what do you do to come back to your own center and your own truth when you can't be out there in the Grand Tetons? I mean, some of the obvious ones, things like meditation and yoga. It seems obvious, but are people actually doing it? That's a whole (laughs) other story. (laughs) We all know breathing, being present, but are we doing it? (laughs) Yeah, I, I think I've finally, you know, reached a point after almost a decade where I just being able to take, whether it's 10 minutes or 30 minutes, a day to go within and tap into just my own breath, it does make a huge difference for me. It just the, there's, as everybody writes about it, just the, the level to which it dials up your own awareness about your own thoughts, whether they're scattered or schizo or calm or doesn't matter. That has become such an integral part of my own existence, but also, you know, getting out, you know, I know not everybody can get out into the woods and the Tetons or, you know, where I'm living up in Vermont necessarily, but uh, I see you running around those parks out there in Los Angeles. Like there's where there is green and trees and even cars and, you know, even busyness, I find there's I find myself trying to slow it down, mm-hmm. take that in, and it helps being able to, as you say, take a few deep breaths in the moment to recognize what is around you. And not even, I mean, yeah, there's gratitude for sure. And there's moments where it's like, oh, yeah, okay, I've got this, or this is what's available to me. But I think just the, just the simple, stopping doing that in you know it's like I, I see or I hear about I don't have an Apple watch but I mean like the, the some of the technology that reminds you to like stop and breathe and that where you can set it on your watch and I mean that's just brilliant to the extent that you're actually following the the prompt when it goes off but I find myself doing that more and more and I think where that plays out, where it's helpful for me is that then I find myself slowing down in the conversations that I'm having Mm -hmm. and the way in which I'm trying to listen to people or whatever's going on around me. So those are a few. And, you know, I mentioned yoga, but it's also kind of one of those modalities that is a little bit like meditation in that I find you can get so mental when you're on the mat. Uh, but that is, that's what's kind of hilarious about it a little bit. Like you can, I find myself on the mat and noticing the monkey mind or whatever's going on. And just by way of like being on the mat, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. And, and being able to almost put yourself up on the wall like you're a fly while <laughs> looking in saying, oh, yeah. No, 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 notice the psychotic mind that's going on there on the mat. It's, 
I appreciate that about it. In addition to, of course, being a decent form of exercise. Oh, so good. What's your favorite kind of yoga to take? Oh, just flow. Ashtanga is kind of what I was trained in. But I like it hot if I can get it, although it's been a few years since I've really ever. I mean, for most of us, we've just I've been missing the studio. Me too. Me too. So you said you were yoga certified or certified yoga teacher. 200, 500? 200. Excellent. We have a sister on the path. I'm also certified um, at the 500. I I really just, I fell in love with yoga. I feel like there's a lot of um, kindred spiritness in this conversation because you, you even referenced at the top of the conversation that you have a long history of, of just feeling anxious and always just kind of, you know, that pressure of producing and performing and and uh, even just questioning, like, have I done enough in life, right? Have I contributed enough? Am I, am I enough? All this. By the way, I know we're not alone. It's pretty much everybody. But so the, the, the antidote, that's the good news. We're not that special, Chris. But um, the antidote for me was absolutely getting my ass on the mat and then recognizing that evolution of when I was no longer looking around or comparing my pose to someone else's pose or my body to someone else's pose. Don't try yoga yeah. in LA. It'll really fuck with you. And because they wear like string bikinis and they're like, they're actually supermodels, you know, and you're like, oh my God, I can't even do tree pose without falling over. But then I noticed that I was only interested in the quality of my breath. Mm. Right. And, and then I started to notice I didn't even see anyone else in the room. I existed on my mat. I was in tune with my breath. My transitions were flowing with my breath. And I've never felt more connected to God, to Christ consciousness, to the universe, to Mother Nature, to myself. That's to yoke. That's yoga. Yeah. And anyway, yep. When uh, COVID happened, um, me too. I uh, didn't go back and I'm going to go back. But L.A. is under a big mandate. In two weeks, as you probably are aware, vaccine yeah. is required. And but you know what? I'm on the cusp of Ventura County, and it's like my whole world opens up ten minutes away. So I've already found my studio. They start on November one. I will be there. And that's the thing is like where there's a will, there's a way. And I know you and I talked before I hit record that we're on the same page for personal choice and medical freedom. We all want the same thing: safety and freedom for all. But I wanted to just circle back to the point of fire and soul these days, which is cultivating these courageous and compassionate conversations. That's really, in my opinion, the gate or the gateway to sovereign leadership and sovereign. You know, there's the Webster dictionary definition and there's kind of mine and the hybrid. And it's just that supreme inner knowing of who are we really when we're being, when we're present, all these beautiful moments that you've had and will continue to have in today's very interesting polarized world. And then I wanted to dovetail it on where I think could be a really powerful gateway for a lot of my listeners, because I very candidly came out and said, I started drinking after four years of not, and my life works really well without it. And when I posted that, I'm just like, no makeup, didn't even brush my hair, just posted it. And I didn't even think it was brave. I was just sharing. And then you commented, you've got this. Thanks for sharing. And me too. And um, then I was seeing your stories that you were supporting your daughter in 75 hard. But I think the gateway to sovereignty is a clear mind. And I just wanted to ask you, like, how do you experience it when you're cleaning up and cleaning out yet again? Because it it is a journey. What is that experience like for you in the contrast 
And then how does that feed into you feeling like you can lean in a sovereign way, but without performing, without producing, but just being a man, a leader. Mm. As relates to being clear and thinking about something like alcohol for me, I grew up in a household where I wouldn't say it was abused, but there were high functioning, heavy drinking parents around that only, you know, set the stage for what inevitably has been a lifetime of mostly social drinking, but just never not present. And drugs too, for that matter. Mm -hmm. And I think that As I mentioned to you, there's been a few moments in my life where I've stepped away from it and touched some of that clarity and then found my way back to it. And at the moment, I am away from it. It's in these moments that I I think I'm maybe it's just a little bit of age and me getting (laughs) me getting older, but I. I think I'm a lot I'm a lot more comfortable admitting that there has been more abuse than not that mm-hmm. that the use of you know mostly alcohol and some drugs along the way has been to numb out yeah. and erase the pain mm-hmm. and you know I haven't had a hard life like many people but at the same time, I, I have struggled and I have experienced a lot of pain. And I know that these substances I have used and abused to make it all or hopefully make it all go away. And of course, it just perpetuates the, the disconnect and the distance from really truly being clear or being able to feel. And I, and I guess maybe more importantly, being able to express how you feel. And I think that that is something that I can say wholeheartedly for myself that I have lost touch with how I've been feeling mm-hmm. and have been not very self-expressed throughout the better part of my life because I've been blind to it. And it's, you know, it's not all just, you know, masked by, by substance abuse, not at all, but just, it's like what we were talking about earlier, just not slowing down and not noticing what, what's getting in the way. And so for me, I'm really quite present and studying more so than ever my own relationship to how that's shown up in my past and how it's, I mean, whatever, (laughs) of course, there's lots of moments that uh, are memorable and fun and that I wouldn't want to change at all. And, but yeah, I think that the, when I, when I look forward, there's a, a, a much deeper and stronger desire to be more clear. I love that. You know, you referenced something when you were coming out about uh, tackling addiction, which, by the way, again, sister on the path in a myriad of different ways. And I think so many of us are, but so few are just brave, you know, and just say it. And that bravery 
is such a beautiful way to connect. And when we can do that without the liquid courage that we're drinking or smoking or whatever, it's recognized. And, and it's, I, I mean, I just saw like just huge amount of connection and engagement for you on those types of posts, right? Um, just like, thank you for sharing me too. Oh, your courage, your vulnerability thing. And it's just, we get so afraid to do it. And then we do it. And we're like, oh, oh, it just almost feels, ah. Well, you know, when, when the word, like for me, for a long while, the word addiction mm. is far scarier mm. than habit. Oh, yes. And they're, Words and, and they're no, and they're no different. They're no different. They're, they're, exactly. they're, they're just, and so what, <laughs> if I talk about the habit of having one too many cocktails, it's just, that's for whatever reason seems lighter than saying I'm addicted to one too many cocktails, but they're no different. They're in the same family and yeah, it, it helps maybe blow some of the cloud away from it and be more accepting of it. Yeah. Same thing here with uh, an identity or a label. And I don't mean to offend any of y'all. I love you. I see you and accept you as you are. Those who are listening that identify with this, that I do not sober. Mm -mm. When I posted my uh, post, because I didn't drink for four years, I just called myself a non-drinker. Like I love my life with it. And then I love doing it, you know, and, I'm, and I don't know how long I'll stay without it. I know I'm loving it right. right now and I don't see myself doing it again. And mainly it's because I feel so empowered to take a stand for those of us who are in the camp of, you know, staying strong regarding the tyranny and the mandates and all the things that we're feeling right on that side of the narrative. And I know that we, you know, feels like half the world at this point, and yet we all want the same things. But anyway, so for me to be clear minded right now, it feels really important because I found myself just spiraling out into a deep fucking depression, uh, suicide ideation. And I thought I was going to sabotage everything I've worked so hard to create. And I did all that when I was a non-drinker. But when I made that post and I put it on LinkedIn, I just was like, put it everywhere. I was like, I don't know who this is going to help, but it might help someone. And if that can happen, then that's beautiful. And all of a sudden I got all these invites to be on like Soberpreneur, you know, podcast, the Sober Magazine, like, and I was like, no, that's not really where it is for me either. Right. And again, just being present enough to listen to what's really coming forward for myself. It's been a very potent clearing. Mm. Yeah, I think one of the things also that was eye opening to me is one of my daughters has suffered from not by any means debilitating anxiety, but certainly, you know, has had some anxiety in her time. And it never it never occurred to me until I read about it and then read more about it, about how the morning after having too much alcohol in your bloodstream just spikes anxiety. And sure enough, like I started to watch that occur with her mm. because she's of age. And of course she's going out and having a ball and, but then waking up with more heightened anxiety than ever before, which is just a totally, you know, it's a, it's directly tied to the consumption, if you will. And when you talk about like all that's going on in the world, you know, part of me thinks, gosh, you know, there's, 
forget about whether you're diagnosed with anxiety. Like there's enough things to be anxious about in the world. Though, <laughs> who, the, who the hell needs to actually pour gasoline on the fire here? Totally. Oh my God, for sure. I was waking up so anxious. And then I experienced this special bout of something that I had never experienced before, which was paranoia. And I was like paranoid looking behind my back. And and I was about a bottle of wine a night and not every night. That was, that was my big, you know, indulging. And then when I was with our dear friend, our mutual friend, Nora Lynch, she didn't do this. I did it. But then we took a trip to Montana to uh, Whitefish, Montana last summer. And it was like girls, older girls gone wild. It was crazy. Not the sexiest sight, but we thought we were sexy anyway. But we were, <laughs> we were drinking. She wasn't. I might have been, you know, drinking at breakfast, you know, a Bloody Mary only because I was so hungover from the evening before that ended at 4 a.m., maybe on a pontoon yeah. boat and skinny dipping, but still. Right. And so just having the best time. But then just like, it just was crazy. And so experiencing all of that paranoia and all that anxiety around already what I felt like the world was caving in and we might all die and, you know, all these crazy thoughts. I just was like, that's it. You know, I got to just stop. I don't know for how long. But so what I really appreciated about one of your other posts, because again, I stalked the gram when you talked about, you know, you're at the beach and I do a lot of those photos too. I'm just in the sun, getting vitamin D at the beach. I think you're at the beach or maybe the lake. And you said, this photo is a good representation of just how fucked up and distorted social media can be. It often presents a reality that is not real. And then you go on to talk about how on the outside, it just looks like everything is great and fine and dandy and celebrating life and love and children's success and all these things. But on the inside, you're just fragmented, Right. And, uh, and maybe feeling all that anxiety or for me, I just be, I started to feel like a fraud, you know, because I was presenting one side of me that looks healthy and exercising and into mindfulness and all these things. And it's like, yeah, drinking a bottle of wine at night. And so for me, I just like, I don't want to represent something other than I am. So I'd rather just come out and be it. Right. And just say, this is who I am in its entirety. than pretending like that's not going on. And I imagine that was going on for you too. So I know that you thought that was a little TMI, but it seemed to really strike a chord with your with your community. Well, I guess those things that are so revealing and so honest, I guess, are often the things that resonate the loudest. Yes. Uh, you know, for me, I think that the concept of depression, like it forever like it never passed my lips never did I ever mm. consider that that was me I mean there's so much beauty in my life how how could I ever I think I'm also I can also laugh at the fact that you know my mom and dad were like hold on you're sick no you're not sick you're fine and and so it was like one of those things where oh yeah of course like and 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 even that, like even maybe thinking in my head that or making the parallel to having depressed thoughts and that that's representative of being, you know, quote, sick. It's not necessarily that. It's really, at least for me, just noticing that, yeah, there's been years of where I've not been plugged into the fog and not always being so good at being able to pick up on 
what is beautiful. Mm. And I don't know. I think some people may argue that's just, that's what, that's called being human. That some days you see the beauty, some days you don't. But that's what that post was referencing really was just getting in touch with this concept of depression and is that present or has that been present for me? And what does that mean? I love it. And there was another part in there that you said that, you know, the opportunity to begin again is ever present. And so it goes a rethinking of who I can be rather than who I have been. You know, we distort and or delete so much of our past, literally meaning like yesterday, right? Much less our childhood. For me, it was just like a bit of a fog. And I had a decent childhood. Nothing traumatic happened to me, but yet trauma even just that you're not sick, get up, you know, for a child in their own sensitivity, although that could seem benign and your parents are thinking they're doing a good thing, right? Like empowering you to like be positive and, you know, all these things, it could feel traumatic to a child. And so then we have to go back and like relanguage or reorganize past experiences to the grown person that you are today to make sense of, is that true? Does it serve me? Right. And then who can I be without that, that thought that's Byron Katie's work, but, but yes, thank you so much for sharing that. We're coming to a close. I wanted to ask just um, a couple follow-up questions on soul degree, because I have a strong sense that some of my listeners may encourage their hubbies or significant others to go, but may hear he wants to, how long were those retreats? And is there alcohol on these retreats? I'm curious. So the typical format which may evolve in the future. But right now, the way that we host these, it's uh, four nights and five days. Mm. Typically, they begin like on a Wednesday afternoon and they wrap up on a Sunday morning. Mm. We've hosted these, like you said, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, in southwestern Vermont. We have a great setup up there in Northern California. We've done a few, but not too many, you know, like Three or four a year is about how many are being teed up at the moment. They're pretty intimate gatherings, uh, you know, a dozen, maybe 15 guys at most is sort of the magic number to create that level of, of depth and listening. Anything bigger than that, just I think as much as it would be amazing to be out there with 50 guys, that's not the way we've set them up. You know, as far as alcohol, we do bring, you know, some wine and beer and it's not strongly discouraged, but it's also not encouraged. It's kind of one of those things where after dinner, if people, you know, feel like they want to have a beer, you know, have a glass of bourbon or something like that around the fire, Mm -hmm. by all means, like the door is wide open for, we don't, you know, we're not there to police. These are grown men. Like you do whatever the fuck you want, really. <laughs> so it's not, uh, we're, we're not there to, you know, create harsh rules. And mm-hmm. at the same time, I think we're there to inspire guys to consider how they normally behave out in the real world. And mm-hmm. if they're psyched to try something new, which may mean just you know, just like we try to inspire them to put their phones down. In some of these locations, you don't get a cell phone uh, signal, hopefully. 
But, you know, increasingly, it's hard to get to places where your cell phone doesn't work. And of course, we're there saying, try to put that phone down because it's such an incredible distraction. And so, yeah, it's like everything in life. It's all in moderation. So it's not a dry event by any stretch, but it's also a place to be playful like a like a little kid would be and little kids have a blast without needing to be blasted. No, <laughs> the adventure, the adventure. Oh, it should never be squashed in any man. Uh, it's like that five-year-old little adventurous spirit with the cape on, you know, I just love it. Uh, just playing right out in nature, having a blast. I love that. Okay. A quick follow-up to that. Have you ever tried plant medicine? Yes. Ooh, it, I'm a fan. Is that something that you would ever bring in or do you ever bring into these retreats? I have not yet, but the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ayahuasca on a men's retreat with soul degree. Oh, yeah. That sounds so cool. All right. And by the way, I honor the uh, integrity of keeping the group small. Um, I've had some other guests on that that run groups for men only. And there's like 100, 150 men at these at these things. And yeah, I really honor the integrity of a small group for the purpose of why you've created it. Final question. And then I'll, I'll ask you a follow up to the final. So it's not technically the final. What are you most proud of? Oh, man. Uh, I think I'm most proud of turning the corner Mm. on thinking that I needed to be the powerful, rich businessman and really diving into being the emotional and introspective and listening father to my children. I had an awesome dad growing up, but he was nowhere to be seen because he was doing what a lot of our family generation, you know, it's like grabbing the briefcase at 7 a.m. and coming home at 8 p.m. and rarely seeing him and not throwing the ball with him or any. And so that was, that was not modeled for me. And I didn't realize, I mean, you talk about trauma, like I didn't realize that that actually was my trauma was missing the connection with my dad. And it took a lot of headbanging in the corporate world for me to finally like come around and the hard way find myself becoming the first call parent and the guy at home. Mel's career was starting to take off. And so that pendulum swung and I took the baton reluctantly at the time, by the way, because it felt so societally incorrect. Yeah. Like, oh no, you can't. And so there I was, you know, taking the kids to the doctor. I'm like, well, what the fuck are you doing? This is not a sign of success here. (laughs) You're a loser. But anyway, I think that that's what I'm most proud of is Mm. coming around on seeing the value in that and being able to lean into it and recognize the power for me, but also for my family. Mm. What a rich answer. Thank you so much for that. I love that it didn't include a title or a status. It's a, it's a sense of being, which is what you are embodying as the founder of soul degree and leading by example, the messiness and all. (laughs) 
<laughs> just uh, the follow-up to that almost final is, is there anything else that you would like to share that you wish I had asked? I'll be honest with you. I've never done this before. This is your so, first podcast? Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> it's so, so interesting. Yeah, I, I, I don't, my listeners know, I don't do a, a shit ton of, of prepping. I just, I'm like, I don't want to ask the same question that someone else has asked. But of course I did, you know, a little searching um, in about 15 minutes before our call, but I was talking your social for weeks. I, I, because I love your writing and I love your images and I love all of it. It's so contextual and it's so, it feels home, like home for me. But I was like, he's had to have been in hundreds of podcasts and I didn't, and I, but it didn't even occur to me that I didn't see them because normally I do, but now that makes sense. Well, you're really freaking fantastic. Thank you for being an amazing guest. You were open. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I obviously didn't know what to expect. I, I live a little vicariously through Mel who recently with this book that she's released is been on, oh gosh, maybe like 80 podcast interviews in the last month or so. And she and I have talked a little bit about what's it like and, and, you know, what's good, what's bad. And, but having not been there, like I, I didn't necessarily know what you were. I mean, I love the fact that you didn't necessarily have a script or questions or, and at the same time, yeah, I, I was just looking forward to just having the conversation. I appreciate you inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. Well, thank you to Nora Lynch, who uh, connected us. But so what will the weather, the weather report be back to Mel on how your first experience was on a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, a pleasure. Oh, thank you. That means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. And, um, and I'm also uh, very just much in honor and in awe of your open heartedness and your transparency and your presence uh, today. Everything that you described of what you're most proud of, I experienced in this conversation. So I just want to thank you for taking the risk, right? To come on and you don't even know me and to share so deeply. Uh, it's not lost on me or my listeners. So where's the best place for them to, to connect with you? At Soul Degree on Instagram and the dot Chris Robbins is my personal account. I find my way to Facebook a little bit. Soul Degree Retreats, I believe, or it's Soul Degree, actually, on it's, Facebook. It's sold. Okay, Soul Degree on Facebook. I will link all of it in the show notes because uh, what you're doing is really awesome and uh, truly. And I hope that you allow for women to come one day because if so, that's my kind of retreat. So maybe one day in the future. Chris, thank you very much for giving me your time and, and your presence today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for giving me the space. Thank you for listening to Fire and Soul. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite pod player. And if you'd like to connect on social, you can find me anywhere at Michelle Sorrow. Or if you'd like to reach out to me directly, you can at fireandsoulpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.